back for our asynchronous podcast for the Theories of Counseling and Psychotherapy course. In this episode, we'll be covering part of chapter 13, which is the postmodern approaches to psychotherapy. I decided to break this into two parts. The first will be solution-focused brief therapy, and then part two, a separate episode, will be narrative therapy. I wanted to break these up to hopefully um, give some clarity between the two approaches. Postmodern is the large umbrella that solution-focused brief and narrative both fall under. So we're really taking on two approaches in this one chapter. So that's why we're doing things a little bit differently and the episodes will be a little bit shorter um, to help accommodate with that. So before we jump into understanding what postmodern means in application to psychotherapy and talking about solution-focused brief, let's take a moment to settle and gather ourselves as we prepare for our learning. body to find a stable and grounding posture, consider opening that posture, perhaps having your hands with palms up, maybe even your arms and your shoulders, your chest expanded a bit as a sign of openness as you welcome and deepen your breath. As you're in this open and grounded posture, I want you to focus on the deepening of your breath. And imagine how your feet connect you to the ground. How they literally ground you to this rock that we live on. Or if you're sitting, perhaps the sit bones of your body may be what feels most grounding to you right now. Imagine now a redwood tree. We happen to live in an area that is full of them. Imagine a redwood tree. Imagine your spine elongating like the straight trunk of the redwood tree. Imagine your feet connecting to the ground like roots. Digging deep into the soil in search for wellness richness, finding what you need there. Now redwood trees are known for having surprisingly shallow roots. The reason why their roots are shallow is because they search out for other redwood trees and their roots will connect together. This is why you often see clusters of redwood trees. Oftentimes they're in a circle their roots are all interconnected, helping each other grow towards the sun, seeking the light, searching for that rich, nourishing soil. As we're connecting with this imagery, connect now with the people who are your roots, the resources that you have, maybe places, memories, Whatever figures are in your support network, imagine your roots extending towards them in connection. 
continue deepening your breath. As you now extend gratitude through your breath, down into your roots and out to your root system and all those things that are connected to it. Take a few more deep, intentional breaths. And start allowing yourself to come back into the physical space you occupy. As we now connect together in our virtual space to talk about some solution-focused brief therapy. talking about the postmodern approaches to psychotherapy, we need to first understand social constructionism. In this train of thought, clients are viewed as experts about their own lives. Modernists believe that reality exists independently of any attempt to observe it. So whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, it's there, it's happening. The social constructionism thought values the client's reality without disputing whether it is accurate or rational. So this is another way that we're seeing the phenomenological perspective taken kind of to another level. Um, so we always want to try and understand where our clients are coming from in the unique lives and unique worlds in which they live. But we're also giving the benefit of the doubt that it's accurate and rational, at least in the session. Uh, internally, uh, we may be thinking to ourselves, like, I see where some cognitive distortions are, bringing in a little bit of CBT. Um, but from this social constructionism perspective, we're not disputing this with the client. We're not challenging their irrational thoughts. Historically, the postmodernist thought was influencing the development of many psychotherapy theories, and contemporary psychotherapeutic practices, including diversity, multiple frameworks, and integration are all part of this new social movement. So as I just mentioned, I tend to use CBT in conjunction with solution-focused brief work especially, um, but it lends nicely into the other postmodern theories as well. The two most significant approaches within the social constructionism postmodern perspective are solution-focused brief, which you'll see abbreviated in the slides as SFBT, and narrative therapy. Some of the goals within the postmodern social constructionism umbrella of therapeutic approaches. The goals that we have generate new meaning in the lives of clients co-develop with our clients solutions that are unique to the situation. This is incredibly important in all of the work that we do, but especially with the way postmodern approaches things, they need to be unique to the situation, not even to the person per se, but to the situation itself. If you have multiple situations in which you're working with a client, you're going to need multiple unique strategies. We also want to enhance the awareness of the impact of various aspects of the dominant culture on the individual. So this is playing off a of feminist theory a little bit that we're finally starting to include um, noticing that the dominant culture influences all of us, and it does so in different ways. 
and we want to help people develop alternative ways of being, acting, knowing, and living. The social constructionism perspective utilizes this collaborative language systems approach. It identifies that people get stuck in a system that has unique language, meaning, and process. Our clients become the experts who are informing and sharing with the therapist the significant narratives of their lives. They're the experts sharing with us, not the other way around. In CBT, we tend to take an expert role, oftentimes as we're in a teaching capacity, often, of pointing things out, teaching new strategies, informing our clients, this is why you're behaving this way, or this is why you're thinking and acting this way, how you're reinforcing these ideas. But not so in the postmodern approaches, the client's the expert telling us things. And the therapist-client conversation evolves into a dialogue of new meaning, constructing new narrative possibilities. Let's start turning our focus towards solution-focused brief. The unique focus is that behavior change is viewed as the most effective approach to assisting people in enhancing their lives. One of the ways that solution-focused brief is really nice is that it's kind of this immediate results type of process. Um, So this works really well for people who probably aren't going to come see you for very many sessions. Um, You may have a sense of that when you meet them. So you may think, you know, they're really just looking for a solution to this specific immediate problem. They're not looking to explore the depths of their unconscious, and they're not really looking to explore the existential dread of human existence. Um, They really just want help solving this problem. It's another great strategy if you work um, with homeless individuals and families because you don't really know how many sessions you may have with them. They may have to move on or, you know, something may happen where you're not able to see them for more than two or three sessions. So being able to solve some immediate problems typically means behavioral change, identifying what the problem is so we can identify where the change needs to occur. We can do this in just a couple of sessions. So behavior change is the vehicle that we're using. It's the most effective approach to assisting people in enhancing their lives. The past is oftentimes downplayed. We may use it just to get some background information, but again, we're not exploring it here. We're not going to ask about early recollections like we would in Adlerian. We're much more focused on the present and the future. Clients choose the goals they wish to accomplish. We don't give a lot of attention to diagnosis, history taking, or exploring the emergence of the problem. Especially if this is a client who does not have a diagnosis when they come to you, remember that it usually takes about two sessions to figure it out. That may be all you have. You don't want to waste your time on finding a diagnosis. And again, this approach works really well with homeless, the homeless population. You don't really need to give homeless individuals a diagnosis oftentimes. Um, They won't really do anything with that information. It will probably be really off-putting to them. Trying to get homeless individuals in for treatment, in my experience, has been incredibly difficult because there's a lack of trust of the society at large, of the system at large, and we inevitably represent that in some fashion. So even trying to convince them to come in for treatment is difficult. 
So if we were then to tell them, oh, you know, I think you might be experiencing major depression disorder. You think they're really going to come back to see you? Probably not. So SFBT doesn't really focus on diagnosis. We might get a little bit of history depending on the problem that we're working with. We may not. And we don't really focus on where the problem came from. This is not an exploring approach. This is a fix-it approach. We have a strong positive orientation with SFBT. We're utilizing strengths to solve the problem. The therapy is grounded on a positive orientation. People are healthy and they are competent. We don't need to tell them that they're sick. We don't need to give them a diagnosis. We don't need to point out what's not going right. They already know that's why they're here. Um, Or maybe they were court mandated, but generally they already know why they're here. Um, So we view people as healthy and competent. There's strong parallels between SFBT and positive psychology. Because we're concentrating on what is right, what's working, rather than dwelling on deficits, weaknesses, and problems. So the big phrase here is what's working. That's the detective work we have. Look for what's working. We're assisting clients in paying attention to the exceptions to their problem patterns or their instances of success. So when's a time this problem didn't happen? When was a time where you didn't experience this anxiety or you didn't have this problem plaguing you? So we might jump a little bit into the past there. Okay, tell me more about what that was like. Let's see what was going on there because there's probably a strength hidden in there that we can capitalize on. We're looking for exceptions when the problem was less intrusive in their life or non-existent. Some basic assumptions for guiding the SFBT practice. Clients do have the capability of behaving effectively. Regardless of how they present, regardless of what diagnosis you might think they have, even if you're not issuing it, um, clients have the capability to behave effectively. There are advantages to a positive focus on solutions and on the future. We already know what's going wrong. A lot of us already dwell and ruminate in anxiety and depression. We don't need to focus on that. I don't need you to remind me. Taking this unique approach of what's working and how can things be better can be really refreshing for people. This can be a great way to start therapy sometimes. Um, A great hook to kind of get people in the door or to get them to stay. Um, I start with SFBT sometimes. If I have a client who's feeling a little uncertain or a little unsure, is this really going to help? I don't really know. You're such a young therapist, blah, blah, blah. So I might start with this brief solution, strength-oriented approach of, okay, well, you're experiencing some negative impacts on your life because of your post-traumatic stress disorder. We do have a diagnosis at play in this situation. So what's something we can do today that can make tomorrow better? And then, oh my gosh, that actually worked. Okay. And then I can start integrating some other approaches once I have them bought in. So some other basic um, assumptions for guiding the practice is that there are exceptions to every problem. Even if you were born into the worst imaginable situation, there was a moment in time where this problem didn't exist. Even for my kids who have been held in captivity and tortured beyond imagination, 
they can still tell me about days that were good or moments that were good. There are exceptions to every problem. And clients oftentimes present only one side of themselves. And it's the side that people have probably focused on, which is you're messed up, you have issues, you're sick. So that's what they come to us with. And when we offer this different perspective of, no, it makes sense to me why you function this way. And maybe there's an even better way of doing things so that you're less bothered. You're having less interruptions in your life. Is that something you'd be interested in? Some additional guiding um, assumptions for our practice. No problem is constant and change is inevitable. That's one of the things in life we can count on is that it's not consistent. Things will change. They can change for the better. They can change for the worse. By taking a SFBT approach in psychotherapy or even coming to psychotherapy at all, we're inciting change. We're welcoming it. We're demonstrating some type of openness to it. So no problem is constant. Change is inevitable. We assume that clients are doing their best to make change happen. And let me tell you, sometimes this can be really hard, Um, especially when you have a client that it really doesn't seem like they're trying at all to make change happen. Uh, I have a clinically depressed client who has uh, just chronic PTSD, chronic depression. I've been seeing him for years. And there are times where it is really hard to believe that he wants to change. Um, He's kind of got himself backed into a corner where things are being done for him. And it seems like he kind of likes things that way. So trying to incite some change to encourage independence and a betterment of his overall mood and functioning can be an uphill battle and really difficult. So trying to hold on to this belief that clients are doing their best to make change happen can be very difficult. And notice that it doesn't say trying their best to make positive change happen. It just says change. Sometimes clients are trying really hard to relapse um, or they're trying really hard to self-sabotage because that's what they're familiar with. That's the story they know. We're always trying to make change happen somehow. But if we're looking at SFBT from a slightly purist perspective here, clients can be trusted in their intention to solve their problems. And this I have seen hold true, even with that client I was describing a moment ago, Um, There were some things where I thought, oh my gosh, he's not going to be able to do this. We're going to have this significant issue come up and it's going to be really difficult. And so we gave him some room to make those decisions, to make those changes without our help. And he did it without us. So there are times where when there's something that's meaningful, especially to a client, they'll follow through. They can be trusted in their intention to solve problems. Some characteristics of brief therapy, it's a rapid working alliance between the therapist and the client. Everything about this moves pretty quickly. There's a clear specification of achievable treatment goals. You're not going to spend a lot of time developing these. It's going to be pretty straightforward, and it's really going to be kind of a just the facts, get straight to it, not these elaborate goals that are going to take a lot of time. There has to be a clear division of responsibilities between the client and the therapist. If we're trying to make behavioral change, that means things have to happen outside of the therapeutic space. 
which means you're going to have to take some responsibility, dear client, for making these changes that you want to see. We emphasize client strengths, competencies, and adaptive capacities. Sometimes it can be hard to identify a client's strength or to identify something that they're competent at in society in the way it functions and how we understand it. It's easy to create a list of problems. It's hard to create a list of strengths. So this adaptive capacity, if we can hold that in our mindset, then we can look at our clients in a completely different way. We can start to understand why they function the way they do, given what we know about them. It makes sense to me that you started smoking again. It makes sense to me that you developed these kind of antisocial behaviors in response to how you've been treated in the past. You're trying to protect yourself, but it seems like that's not serving you anymore. How can we continue to adapt as you continue to evolve as a person? There's an expectation that change is possible and realistic and that improvement can incur in the immediate future. That improvement can occur in the immediate future. This is a very time-sensitive approach, as you've heard already and you'll continue to hear. The B in SFBT, remember it stands for brief, and it's very intentional that this is a very time-sensitive and being brief uh, approach. This is very anti-psychoanalytic in that regard. We're not spending years, we're spending maybe hours, a couple of hours on this. How does the therapeutic process typically work in SFBT? Clients are given an opportunity to describe their problems. We want to understand them as clearly as possible. The therapist works with the client in developing a well-formed goal, and clients are then assisted in exploring exceptions to the problem. The therapist will offer clients summary feedback and provide encouragement and suggestions. Summarizing is a key skill when it comes to SFBT, because as clients start describing their problems, they start to spiral a little bit, or they start to tell you stories about the problem. Or the way they're trying to explain the problem to you is through narratives of different experiences that they've had. So you have to kind of tease out what the problem actually is. So being able to take all of that information they just threw at you, summarize it and say, so it sounds to me like the problem is this. Is that correct? Like, does that seem right to you? Or do we need to revisit this? And then finally, the therapist and client evaluate the progress being made in reaching satisfactory solutions. What's interesting with SFBT is that it welcomes an interesting clientele. So you end up having three different kind of possibilities of a client that come to you, different expectations that they come with. The first is described as the customer. This is a person who comes basically paying you to hand them a solution to their problem. Hey, doc, this is what I've got going on. What should I do? So the client and therapist need to figure out how to work together to identify the problem and find the solution to work towards, rather than you just handing them essentially a prescription that says, well, here you go. Here's how you fix a trichotillomania. Um, You have to work together to find a solution for it. 
The next type of client is the complainant, the person who just wants to come whine and vent about everything going on. The client describes their problem. They probably describe it in great detail. They give you lots of examples of how this problem is impacting their lives, but they're not willing or able to take an active role in constructing a solution. To borrow an idea from motivational interviewing, they are in the pre-contemplative stage of, stage of change. They're aware that something's not right, but they're not ready or they're not able to take steps towards it. Sometimes when we're in the complainant state, then we can use some resourcing. Maybe there's community resources that can help promote this change or get it started. Or we need to start with, okay, so it seems like there's a problem. And part of the problem is that we're not ready to take action yet. So let's focus on that. What would help you get ready to take real action towards addressing this issue? The third and final type of client that we see is the visitor. This client comes to therapy because someone else thinks they have a problem. You hear this a lot with teenagers. Well, my mom said I should, I should talk to you. Okay, what does your mom think we should talk about? I don't know. Okay, what do you think we should talk about? I have no idea. I don't need to be here. I don't need to see a shrink. Um, or if uh, clients are court mandated, they often feel like visitors that eh, the judge said I have to be here. So here I am. Okay, do you know why the judge said you need to be here? I don't know. They just assume that I'm some bad person just because I did X, Y, and Z. Okay, so let's talk about X, Y, and Z. Maybe we can start there. Let's talk about some of the techniques and application of SFBT. One of the questions we might ask is around pre-therapy change. So we might ask something like, what have you done since you made the appointment that has made a difference in your problem? Remember that the actual act of coming to therapy, making the appointment and following up, this is a big deal for a lot of people that they're actually doing it. A lot of us have the idea, I should talk to someone about that. But to have the courage to actually make the appointment and then to have further courage to actually show up and do it is a significant event in the life of many of our clients. So sometimes that initial first step of just making the appointment, it offers an exception to the problem. The problem is that I am super anxious and I don't talk to anybody about it because no one gets me. So I took a positive step in being able to talk to someone who might be able to help me, who might be able to understand me. That alone can incite change in someone's life. It's like when you're starting a new diet and you actually go a whole day of following your diet and you're like, oh my gosh, I might actually be able to do this. It gives you hope that change can happen. So asking what's happened in between that phone call or that email and you actually showing up, has anything changed? A great question that we ask, and you've been introduced to it already, is the exception question. We can use this in different ways, but the gist of it is, when was a time in your life where this problem bothered you less or was non-existent? SFBT is probably most well known for the following two techniques, the miracle question and scaling questions. 
the miracle question. This is how it sounds. If there was some type of miracle that happened overnight and the problem you had went away, it was solved completely, how would you know it was solved? What would be different in your life? Another way we use this, and I use this with younger kiddos sometimes, is with a magic wand. If I had a magic wand that I could wave over you, and this problem would go away, how would you know? How would you know this problem is gone? Or especially with younger kiddos who may not be as articulate about what the problem is, if I could wave this wand and everything in your life would be exactly the way you want it, what would it look like? How is it different than how things are now? That's the miracle question. The next is scaling questions. So the therapist asks, on a scale of 0 to 10, how would you rate your depression, your anxiety? Um, In the last week, today, right now. Scaling questions are incredibly helpful to understand where the client's coming from. And sometimes 0 to 10 leaves a little too much wiggle room. Sometimes I'll do 0 to 5 or 0 to 3, depending on the concrete orientation or the cognitive capacity of my clients. Um, So that's something you have to feel out sometimes. You might start with 0 to 10, and they're like, well, what would 7 mean? What would 4 mean? Like, okay, let's scale this down a little bit so we don't get stuck on semantics. Um, But this is incredibly useful when you have a client who is maybe self-harming, Um, or a client who is highly suicidal, to understand where their depression is at today compared to where it was yesterday, maybe from the start of the session to the end of the session. I'll use scaling questions before an intervention, then we'll try the intervention, and then I might follow up with a scaling question of, how do you feel now on a scale of one to five, with five being the best you've ever felt in your life, and zero being the absolute worst you've ever felt, and three being content things are okay. Where are you at today? Those are scaling questions. Another technique that SFBT practitioners have up their sleeves is the formula first session task. This is homework a therapist gives clients between their first and second sessions that offers the idea of hope and that change is inevitable. This can be fairly easy to set up. Change is inevitable. Example, you were not in therapy two weeks ago. Now you are. A change has happened. A significant one at that. Regardless of how you might be feeling towards our work together or towards the idea of therapy at large, this is, by definition, a change that has occurred in your life. So the formula first session task. Homework you assign between the first and second session to offer hope and the idea that change is inevitable. We give feedback to our clients. This is another technique that we use. We might take a short break during each session to write a summary for them, to have those little bits of evidence of how things are changing. Sometimes we we get stuck on wanting the clients to do this for themselves, to be able to build up the internalized voice that can talk themselves through problems, that can identify when change is happening, And sometimes they are just not there. Sometimes that anxiety is so strong or that depression is so strong that they are just not there yet. So this is where we can take an active stance and saying, look, here is written physical evidence of what we've talked about 
and it includes how I see you. I see you as someone who is competent, who has strengths, who is resilient, who is capable of change. And especially because SFBT is so short, you have to talk about termination in the first session because it might be um, termination is in four weeks. We only get a month. Or termination could be, you know, when you have an unexpected move. Again, especially in the homeless population where people are um, pretty nomadic and they have to go where the resources are or go where whatever their story leads them. That, um, you know, termination may be unexpected. We might want to build that in depending on who you're working with. Um, But we're going to do our best to prepare for it as we continue our work together. You can use SFBT in a group setting. The practitioner believes that people are competent and able to solve their own problems. Even in the group setting, that doesn't change. The facilitator then has to focus on solutions where group members can give an opportunity to describe their problems briefly. This is another skill of being concise when you speak. It's a skill we have to learn, and it's a skill that can be useful for our clients to learn, especially in group work. The goals for therapy are small, realistic, and achievable. And this should be applicable not only to group therapy, but to individual as well. That we need to make things really uh, digestible. It needs to be something they can really do. Not these big, elaborate, multi-step goals. These are going to be really simple. In the group setting, leaders use questions that change and remain goal-directed and future-oriented not getting stuck in the past. Our clients are going to want to do that. When they're talking about their problems, they're going to want to give you all of this evidence as to why this is legitimate. And we don't need to go there. Let's stay present and future-oriented. The group context can help members learn about their personal abilities to solve their own concerns. And we want to shift the focus from what's wrong to what's working. y'all solution focus brief is a brief approach to therapy so this is a brief lecture about it Um, your book is chock full of information about how this works and there are a lot of great videos on youtube and from the school library about these different techniques being used with families with couples with individuals i've shared a few with you on canvas and i encourage you if you're interested in this and have time to go explore some of those for yourself Uh, Make sure that you listen to part two of the lecture series for this in which we will talk about narrative therapy. 